0: The sun is down, the street lights are on, and you're listening to Largely the Truth with Brennan Storr. To all you restless sleepers and midnight creepers, bleary-eyed truckers in the graveyard shift, this is Brennan's store, and you're listening to Largely the Truth. Whether you're staring at a screen or the lines on the road, all is well. The next little while, it's going to stay that way. Because I'm here, you're there, and together, we're going to explore the night. Welcome back to Largely the Truth, the internet's favorite podcast, the internet still just Doesn't know it yet. How are you folks doing? It's been a minute, has it not? Yes, this is my first episode since I want to say May of last year, something like that. It's it's been a long time. My last was a conversation with the battle rapper Canell, and if you haven't heard that episode, folks, I do encourage you to check it out. Canell is a hell of a guy, very funny. Uh, I also recommend following him on Letterboxed. Just a very, very creative guy, a lot of fun. And I took some time off. I was working on some other things. I spent some time living living in Montreal, Canada. And I am speaking to you as I prepare for yet another relocation, this one to London, Ontario. So if you live in that area, of course, feel free to drop me a line. I'm always up for a drink with listeners, coffee, things like that. But we're not here to talk about those things. We are instead here to talk about this episode. Before we do that, though, since this is the first episode in a very long time and you could be coming to the show for the first time, I am Brennan Store. As I said, I'm the host of a number of podcasts, primarily the Ghost Story Guys, co-hosted with Paul Bestel of Mysteries and Monsters. I'm a full-time professional podcaster, and this show is an opportunity for me to sit down with interesting people, filmmakers, musicians, artists, writers, creators of all kinds, and talk to them about what makes them tick, what they're passionate about. It is truly a privilege. Some of the conversations I've had have been just wonderful. And I truly encourage you to go check the back catalog. There are some very, very talented people in there. This conversation is one I have been looking forward to having for a long time. And it's actually one I recorded earlier this year. I've just been waiting to release it, but the conversation is with Buddy Young. Now, Buddy is an extraordinarily talented musician electrical engineer, uh, photographer, and I met him back when this was a a music show on 92.5 Stoke FM. That was from 2017 to 2019. And Buddy, at the time, was fronting a band called Steel City Ruins, which was out of Pittsburgh. And I fell in love with their album, One. Uh, It's actually, I believe, the last compact disc I ever bought. And Buddy and I had always meant to catch up. It had just never happened. And then, through a series of circumstances I I won't bother getting into here, we got to sit down and have a chat. So, on this episode, we get to hear about Steel City Ruins, we get to hear about Dolly Sod's, a bunch of other buddies, extraordinary projects, uh, his electrical engineering, the state of things in in Pennsylvania, which is, of course, where Buddy's from. It's a, a brilliant conversation with a talented young man who is only at the very beginning of his creative career. So, folks, consider this getting in on the ground level. This is essential listening because I suspect Buddy Young is going to be a name you hear for a long time to come. All right, now we're going to sit back, relax, and reach out to the very talented Buddy Young. My guest tonight is someone whose work, first with the band Steel City Ruins and then with Dolly Sods, came to my attention back when this was still a music show on the FM band. Hailing from what may be my favorite state, Pennsylvania. Buddy Young is not just a talented musician, songwriter, and electrical engineer, but an artisan as well. His handcrafted amplifiers have been used on stages the world over, and on a personal note, Steel City Ruins' full-length one album is the last CD I ever purchased and stayed in my car CD player right up until the time I sold it. Buddy, welcome to Larger of the Truth. Thanks for having me, man. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. I, as I mentioned, and you and I were talking about this off-air, we first met via instagram basically in i want to say early 2018. yeah
1: i think you reached out to me i think about the band because you're doing an episode about hauntings in pittsburgh or something like that the ghost story guide i think first what happened
0: is I i started doing themed episodes of my music show largely the truth and i did an episode centered on pittsburgh and what i would do is i would just go to band camp and look in pittsburgh but i also was looking up pittsburgh area zines and and kind of local shows and stuff like this trying to find cool bands and I found Steel City Ruins I think one had maybe just come out Oh yeah that
1: was uh, that that album we loved it and like we put so much heart and soul into that album so it was really cool when you reached out and you're like hey I want to use some tracks off of this we were all like so more than happy
0: for that Oh yeah I mean and we'll talk more about one as as we come go along here cuz there's a, you know, some stuff I really want to kind of dig in on but that just generally is that's a perfect record the first two songs from the the dolly sods album i was born in the background of the best things of the past they are perfect songs of the first the first two i mean the rest of the album is good but those two first songs uh field notes field notes and little holes i can't remember which order they go in but they just yeah that's this. that's the order oh that it is okay yeah so it just yeah. absolute perfection and, uh, yeah, I, I've listened to one over and over again, again, just a, a brilliant record. And so when we did a haunting of Pittsburgh for ghost story guys, yeah, I, I thought, uh, absolutely. I wanted to, to play some of that stuff because it's, it's just incredibly evocative. And again, we'll, we'll talk about it down the road because I do want to spend time talking about that album. But before
1: we get there, man, yeah, how long have you been playing music? I grew up from a, like a music family. My grandfather was like a multi-instrumentalist. He played the organ. He played trumpet, piano. He actually owned a music store. He sold organs and pianos and electric organs. At one point, PNC Park, one of the places to go in Pittsburgh for sports, for baseball, the organ there was our family's. that we sold PNC Park. And my grandfather would have installed it back when... Back when they, you know, used real organs and not just like someone hitting a button on a soundboard. Growing up, I mean, one of my earliest memories was sitting on my grandfather's lap while he played the entirety of the Imperial March from Star Wars on ah. an electric organ. And I, I was probably six years old and I'd never even seen Star Wars. But that like song was so powerful. and just like you know, uh, driving that, like I, it's been burned into my brain ever since back when I was in school, I had a teacher that was like, what was the first experience you ever had with music? And I had to think about it. And that memory came back to me. And ever since then, I think about it all the time, very fondly. Um, so I had always played around. I actually started in marching band in middle school. I played trumpet and then, uh, Probably when I was about nine or 10, I picked up guitar. And so you mentioned your grandfather
0: installed the organ. And, and as I said in the intro, you're an electrical engineer. In fact, you were telling me off air about this sort of very, very cool part of your current job where you get to go into these little scene maintenance areas of these you know, fairly large buildings. Yeah. Is that part of the family too?
1: Your grandfather was also mechanically inclined? Yes. Yes. He, he, was, um, he, he actually worked for Westinghouse for a while as an engineer. At one point, Toshiba actually tried suing him because he had like a a Toshiba VCR or, you know, it might have even been a radio. It was some sort of, of gear, right? And he was actually at one point the youngest certified TV and radio repairman in his county when he was a kid. So he was always fixing people's stuff. The FCC was after him for a while because he would like hijack radio stations and call my grandmother before they were married and he'd say, hey, tune to this station and he'd put on one of her favorite songs and like hijack the radio waves. So the FCC was looking at him for a while, uh, you know. So I guess he, he kept having these like Toshiba units come in that all had the same problem. So he like reverse engineered this entire thing and wrote Toshiba a letter and said, hey, if you guys use this like $2 part, this won't happen anymore. And they tried suing him because they originally thought that there was no way someone could have figured that out without stealing documents. So out of court, he like sat down with someone, you know, representative and explained to them all of his steps on how he figured it out. And they hired him to be like a consultant for a couple <sighs> years. That's great. So. I know part of his eulogy when when he passed away, like they referred to him as a genius and said that apparently he had um, deaf neighbors. And when they had a child, he rigged their house up with microphones that would turn on lights in every room when their baby cried. Oh, wow. So that they would know that their baby was crying since they were deaf. He had this huge workbench. It's actually where I would build my amps. I uh, used all of the same gear he used to use when he would fix organs and and tinker with stuff. Um, so, you know, he did that. My father's an electrician. Uh, so it's, it's that's definitely always been in the family. And from like a super young age, I, I've always been tinkering, you know, whether it was helping my dad or my grandfather with something. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the amps
0: because I, I remember when yeah. I when you started following me with the uh, the was it DB amplification? Yes, yes, it was. was. On I remember on Instagram, I was seeing these in, incredibly well crafted wooden cabinets, and it, it was just absolutely fascinating. Because again, at that point, all I knew was the music, and so to see you could you had this this incredible manual skill
1: was was really impressive. How did that get started? Well, it, funny enough, I mean, it, it kind of started because of Steel City Ruins. We had recorded one. And, you know, as good of, of an album as it was, like some of us, obviously, everyone's like their own biggest critic, right? Sure. We were like, we could have sounded better. And huh. at the time I was using like, I mean, it was a nice amp, but I was using a PV, uh, you know, head and, and combo. And I was like, you know, I could probably just build an amp. <laughs> That's really where it started. I was like, I bet instead of spending a bunch of money to buy something that I might not like or might break, I'll just build something from scratch. So I spent more hours than I'm probably, you know, willing to admit just digging through forums on the internet, absorbing every like ounce of tube amp knowledge and history I could find. And I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Never done it once before in my life. I would call my dad every once in a while and be like, Hey, if I touch this thing, is it going to kill me? Um, <laughs> because there's pretty high voltage in those amps you know sure. uh on on of the bigger models that i made the high voltage is like 650 volts so it's a dangerous thing and uh you know i i built my first amp in my basement uh turned it on for the first time and it sounded horrible oh uh, no it sounded like absolute it sounded like absolute trash and i uh i hyperfixate quite often love things oh yeah i understand um, i do the same so sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad well i hyperfixated on it and i for four or five days straight just was like swapping components reading forums trying every little thing i could do and then like one day i just like hit the magic combination and i had made like a beautiful sounding amp and not only was i like super proud of it but I was like, hey, if I only got good at this, I could probably sell these to people. Um, and uh, this this was at a time when it was like, I I really wanted to be my own boss. And like, I loved creating, like I loved playing music. I loved traveling and playing shows. And I just thought like, it only made sense. So I um, actually reached out to my friend Dave who was the uh, vocalist from Dolly Sogs, the other group I played with. And he was a tradesman carpenter. And I said, could you help me figure out how to make cabinets? And, you know, he helped me build a couple and I, I figured it out. And that's where the, the woodworking part of it came.
0: So you basically taught yourself how to build cabinets or he taught you how to yeah. build cabinets?
1: Yes, he did. And, you know, my dad had a little bit of knowledge and we had some tools. My, my dad has like, growing up, we never paid anyone to do anything. So right we had enough of like the rough tools that we needed to get the job done. Um, and you know, sometimes that I had too much on my plate or too many other amps, I would reach out to Dave and I'd say, Hey, can you make me this cabinet? Here's the design. Here's how I want it to look. And he'd say, yeah, sure. And you know, in a couple of weeks he'd hit me up and say, Hey, the amps or the, you know, the cabinets ready. And I'd go and pick it up and, you know, there were a few times where there was either a miscommunication or I did a drawing wrong. It's where the measurements were wrong. So I'd have to like, not Jerry Rick, that's not the right way to put it, but I'd have to, you know, get creative to make things work sometimes, right. um, you know, but that was part of the fun, you was, was having like the challenge because I never made the same amp twice. Every single amp that I ever made was one of a kind and was slightly different. So there were always kinks to iron out. Right. That is very cool. I, and I mean,
0: I have to imagine, I mean, I'm not musically inclined, but I have to imagine to own something so, so singular and unique must be incredibly gratifying. I mean, they were, they were works of
1: art just to look at, as I recall. There's a phrase used often with like guitarists, that's like called Mojo. Right. I built a couple amps for a few different studios. And, you know, the one guy put it to me this way. He goes, if I set one of your amps in a room and set it right next to another, you know, box store brand amp. And they sounded exactly the same. But yours is handmade and unique. And it has a story. When the guitarist plugs into that he will play better. Oh, I, I believe that completely. He had, he has mojo. You know, it's, I don't want to say it's a placebo effect because, I mean, they are really nice. They were really nice amplifiers. They feel amazing. Like, uh, especially with electric guitar, there's a sort of odd relationship to sound with an electric guitar. I primarily played acoustic when I first started learning. And, like, when you play acoustic, you can feel the vibrations on your body because this giant acoustic guitar is resonating and you're really one with the sound when you're playing, where on electric guitar, your amplifier is that bridge. So if you have an amp that isn't as responsive to your touch, you know, there's like dynamics and nuances that, you know, sometimes you just don't get. Um, And I spent a lot of time when I was troubleshooting and tweaking and building my amps, was to like make them really feel like it was just an extension of my hands. It definitely has a feeling to it. I'm actually looking at my personal one that I made for myself uh, years ago. It, it sits in the corner with a bunch of happy little plants around it. And it's a gorgeous, yeah, it's funny. It's a functional piece of furniture in a way. <laughs> yeah, like those old cabinet
0: TVs. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> And you, now you were saying, uh, again, prior to us uh, hitting record that it was, it was sort of COVID. It was, was it sort of put the kibosh on the business for the time being.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I had a lot of open pending orders and a lot of people pulled their orders and like I didn't get to finish those amps. And then like another thing that happened because of it was that during lockdown, a lot of my suppliers went out of business. I was buying components and specific parts for a very specific reason. Like I tried to only source like the finest components that I could get my hands on. Right. And one of the things was this transformer company based out of the U.S. And they, I loved the way they sounded in my ears. And I felt like, I mean, that's one of the most important parts. People will spend good money for a good transformer. And they went belly up during the pandemic so i could no longer get those like all i had was what i'd stocked and at the time like i didn't have a ton of capital so i was really buying stuff as i needed it and you know no one was playing shows uh you know maybe people were still in the studio because i did i made a few the last one i made actually went to a studio and uh the guys been touring the country with this amp and he, he texts me all the time. He's like, hey, another sound guy was like, whoa, that amp is crazy. Where'd it come from? <laughs> uh, you know, he, he played Red Rock Amphitheater not that long ago. Oh, wow. With, this, with my amp. Yeah. Uh, it, it was really cool. He's um, The guy's name is Al Torrance. He, he owns a studio out here. And he also tours with this up-and-coming country artist called uh, Charles Godwin. Um, oh, okay. Which... Apparently, if you mention his name, I have friends who live in Nashville. Apparently, if you mention his name in Nashville, people come flocking. So uh, you know, it, it's pretty cool to to see that like one of these things that I spent hundreds of hours making ended up touring the country with uh, some really cool people. Yeah, that is so cool, man.
0: So speaking of gigs, I, I would love to talk about some of your music again. Uh, I, I found you because of, of Steel City Ruins and, and there's Dolly Sods, but you've also got uh, a few tracks released under the name Old Enemy, which is more, is that sort of more uh, just driven by you?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, old, old Enemy is really, I don't know if you're familiar with the artist City and Color uh, at all. I know the name. I don't know. There's, um, so, so there's an artist named City in Color and the man's name is Dallas Green. So. I was inspired by this to come up with old enemy. My name is Buddy Young. So if you reverse my name and make it the opposite, it's old enemy. Right. So old enemy is like really, really a a passion project, I guess. And I mean, calling it a project, honestly, is almost like an overstatement. If I (laughs) write something sitting on my couch that I really want people to hear, I will sit in my little studio room with like a crappy $20 USB microphone and record it in one take or like layer a couple takes. And I put it on Bandcamp. Um, I have a couple tracks on Spotify, but that's, that's like really my like solo, solo gig. And it's kind of just like an outlet um, for stuff that I don't think would maybe necessarily work with a full band. Or it's and it's like grandiose as a five piece post rock band, (laughs) you know, uh, like Steel City Ruins.
0: Right. Yeah. I was listening to, uh, your EP Trash Nights the other day Oh yeah, there's a few tracks on there which you've released separately or you
1: had released separately as singles like, uh, is it Komorebi? Yeah. If you're unfamiliar with that term, it's, you know how there's like words in different languages that the English language doesn't have a word for? Yep. Komaribi is the light that filters through the leaves in the forest. Oh, it's wow. a Japanese a Japanese word. I'm sure calling it a word is probably not the right way to explain it, but komoribi is the light filtering through the leaves in a forest. Is
0: it the fire?
1: And I found that really inspiring when I, you know, I don't know, it was probably some like Buzzfeed article or something that was like, here's (laughs) 10 words that you'll never believe these 10 words that we don't have in English, you know, it was something like that. And I thought that was really inspiring, you know, coming from Pennsylvania uh, and spending a lot of time in the woods, uh, uh, you know, it, it hit me in some sort of way.
0: The first track, A COVID Guide to Breakfast. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that.
1: Okay, that you know that's actually one of my my favorite like songs I've ever written. Like Feeling- so honestly, it's actually like a really funny story. I had lent one of my amplifiers to some friends of mine from New Jersey who were recording an album and they wanted to use it. So I let them borrow my amp and, you know, lockdown comes, but I needed to get my amp back from them. So I go out and like, you know, it's all, this is like early, early, early lockdown. So no one really knows what's going on, how it works, you know, what's the right way to do this. And, you know, these guys are some of my best, best friends in the world. So it was really hard. We don't see each other often, you know, we're, we're a couple hundred miles away from each other. It it was really hard to go out to New Jersey and have to stand six feet away from my best friends with a mask on, grab an amplifier, throw it in my car and immediately leave and really not to get to spend any time with them. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I stay at this like $60 a night hotel, motel type deal by where they live. And in the middle of the night, I feel a weird tickle and I wake up and see that my bed is infested with bed bugs. Oh no. So not because I'm smart, but because I'm lazy, I left all of my other clothes in my car. I like (laughs) ran out to my car. I don't pack well. I probably had like a t-shirt and a pair of shorts and I was like, still really not that warm outside. So I, um... I like throw away my clothes. I'm like, oh, I have to, I have to burn everything. I don't know what to do. So I really wasn't prepared to like drive home. So I reached out to another one of my very good friends who was also in that band. And I said, hey, uh, do you have like a teacher? Any, I, I need to borrow something to, to get home. I need like a jacket or an overshirt. And they said, yeah, stop on by. And I show up. And they were like, Hey, if we like stay far enough away from each other, do you want to sit on my balcony and get breakfast? So we, we were catching up there's a couple lines in, in that track about like, how have you been? Have you been writing house to house? How are you feeling? Um, right. and, and one of the, one of the lines is have you found yourself yet? And it's one of the things that I loved about my friendship with, my friend over in New Jersey is like, those were, those were conversations that we really would have. And during lockdown, like it was an emotional time. Like everyone was scared and it was really hard to be out there. So to sit on a balcony, eating a, a bagel, like sausage sandwich and drinking a black coffee <laughs> with my friend, I, I got home and I was inspired to write a song about it. And I was like, what's a good name for this? And I thought a COVID guide to breakfast. That's really what it was. I drove home that day. That was the most, you know, maybe an hour and a half of interaction with one of my good friends and felt extra special in that moment because, you know, human interaction was very limited, you know, because of the pandemic.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember we spent my first, uh, not my first, uh, first but my, uh, my birthday in 2020, we spent basically in fresh lockdown. And it was bizarre. And I remember when I was finally able to see my my essentially my best friend again. You know, we we were staying six feet away from each other. so We'd go for these walks, but because you just can't be sure, you're staying this distance from each other. And it was such a it almost feels like a dream now that entire experience. Mm -hmm. Feel I guess a nightmare would be more appropriate, but yeah, it was so so strange. I, I was delivering food for one of these courier companies during the pandemic. And it was just the oddest thing. There was this sort of mix of gentility, you know, everyone kind of being a little bit nicer to each other, but also this this little bit fear of the other and this mm-hmm. longing for something that we previously I think had just completely taken for granted.
1: Oh, yeah, completely. And I mean, um in in that same track that you were asking about, uh, COVID Guide to Breakfast. I I think my last line was something, you know, along the lines of, is there anyone there to love you? That, that friend of mine, you know, right, right before lockdown hit, they were messing with the dating scene and trying to get back out there. And, you know, we're, we're struggling already pre-lockdown. We're, we're struggling with like being a homebody but also needing to like go have physical human interaction. And then lockdown came. And that was, you know, a, an extra nail in the coffin, you know, and it was, it was a very difficult time and it, 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 does, it really feels like a bad dream now with like the, the odd lingering repercussions of it all. Yeah. On that subject, you were
0: saying, uh, again, off air, you were saying that Pennsylvania has really sort of shifted in the years since, I mean, yeah. since, since the 2016 election, but you were saying really since the pandemic, you've noticed a, a shift as well.
1: Yeah, it, you know, I mean, it's it's probably one of those things that has always been there, right? But from, you know, the, the previous elections and then the pandemic, I think, one, people being locked away from each other, as much as it made people more kind to each other in the beginning, I think it really kind of ripped the, uh, the accountability away. For a lot of people, where they don't understand that, like, the person driving past their house is a human being, right? I love these houses. I'm not by any means, I think this is a staple of Pennsylvania. Uh, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. You drive past like the junkyard houses where they have every single rotted out car known to man in their front lawn for parts and random scrap. Like there is not a single thing that is missing from their front yard. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty much running their own junkyard. And, <laughs> you know, I, I love those places because it's like, it's neat to see like old, you know, old relics as rusty and rotten as they are. Like, it's still a really cool thing to see. And it's always been super influential to me creatively. And now more often than not, those same houses have like, A really offensive, poorly spray painted sign in the front yard. Oh no! Yeah, and I mean, even going to my parents' house, like there, there was this house that for the longest time had like probably fifteen gigantic "fuck Biden" signs. Oh man, just everywhere, and it's like one hundred percent people are entitled to do whatever they want with their property, but there's no uh, neighborly like care in that action. And in Pennsylvania, especially because it is a very, you know, Pennsylvania, I would say is a red state, but because of Philly and Pittsburgh, it's a blue state. Right. So we have two big cities that are like, you know, they have a large population and they're blue. So Pennsylvania is a blue state. But I mean, if you go, you have to go very far and, you know, it's people that feel disenfranchised and they feel like they're in a war, like they've been told they're in a war here, right? So it's no longer people just like it used to be you just did your own thing and you didn't get in anyone's face about it. And everyone in Pennsylvania just like got along, you know, like sure you could maybe get into an argument or you like run into some guy who's kind of a jerk at the gas station. But now some guy sees I have an earring in and he's like oh you must be one of those Joe Brandon guys Uh," you know know what I mean and it's it's real and it happens and I I'm not one to start any arguments I usually just laugh I'm like I never heard of them (laughs) you know that's the (laughs) yeah that's the that's the easiest way but it is sad and there is a lot you can feel it you know you drive through areas that before it used to feel like, oh, this is like a beautiful rural area and these people like it to live in peace. And now it's like, you could be on a road and you're like, oh, if my car breaks down, I might not come home. Wow. It, it feels angry and it's, it is really sad, but I mean, Pennsylvania in general, at least the area that I'm in, um, you know, Western PA has like kind of always gotten the short end of the stick for a long time, left the Ohio River Valley. We, dude, we had so many Superfund sites. There is an area not too far from me where like, you can't dig more than six feet under the ground without actually legally needing a hazmat crew.
0: What, so what's the deal there? I'm I'm not familiar with the term uh, Superfund?
1: Superfund. So they're essentially like chemical industrial plant sites that are just so ridiculously polluted that it's uninhabitable right so there there's an area that like you know my father being an electrician he he told me that back in the day uh in this area where you need like hazmat suits to dig deeper in the ground than like six feet he said he had to change a telephone pole and they got to a point where it was literally green and it was like toxic dirt and they had to leave they had to stop doing what they were doing and it's because there's like five chemical plants right there. And uh, I live not very far away from Shell built this. It's called the Cracker Plant. It is an absolute giant plant that produces plastic. Oh, okay. Little tiny plastic BBs, like about the size of like an airsoft pellet. And they make thousands of tons of plastic pellets every day. And they're right on the river. They have their own power plant. They built their own power plant to power the, the cracker plant. They've gotten several fines already from the EPA for like emitting. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they were admitting, but it was like over the threshold, right? Right. I don't, I've, I live very close to this. It lights up the night sky. They have like a giant off-burning gas well that like literally shoots these enormous flames out of it if there's too much pressure in their system and there's like a problem and it lights the whole sky up. Holy man. You know, they got a tax break by building here because I mean, it did during the construction, it took billions of dollars to make. They brought thousands of people to this area of Pennsylvania. But now that the plant's complete, I think there's only going to be 600 full-time employees. You know, and that's so often the case with (laughs)
0: these things. I, I know, uh, In, there's a town where uh, my cousin lives in, in, up here in, well, in, over in BC. And they wanted to, uh, I'm they might even have gone through, but they wanted to basically create an open pit mine on the other side of Mm -hmm. the other side of the hill from this town. And their thing was, well, it's going to, you know, jobs, it's going to create jobs. But the thing they wouldn't say is, as you said, the construction boom is what's going to, you know, provide most of the jobs. Once it's built, there's only really a handful of workers that that are going to be required a full time. And in the meantime, you've got this enormous, uh, very, very dangerous environmental hazard just on the other side of the hill from a town of 70,000
1: people. hmm And not to get, you know, like, I, so, I don't want to be too, like, conspiracy theory. Sure. But, you know, it's like Shell. They're like, uh, it meets, it meets the standards. It's safe. There's no environmental impact. And it's like, uh, okay. I also live 20-something miles away from East Palestine. Oh, geez, Where that that train wreck happened um, Yeah, we had acid rain um for sure this whole area like like i said i mean it's like you could go in a 50 mile radius of pittsburgh and you will find some town some population some community that like one way or another has been greatly impacted by industry and there's these you know, there's groups of people that have been harmed by industry, but they don't actually realize that like, that's who's hurt them. Right. So it's like, they just built this giant plant and obviously during the construction, there's thousands of workers. Now there's 600 and it's not, it's not the fact that, you know, this plant got built and that's why the jobs left. Right. Like people feel like they've been slighted by something else. Of course. But I was like, no, that was the goal. And it's, Obviously, like Pennsylvania is still a great place. I, I love it. But there is, there's a different feeling in the air um, in, in some of the areas where it it almost felt like there was a sort of, even though we're not in the South, like a Southern hospitality, right? right. Like, you know, you, it felt like, oh, you know, I'm in like a friendly area. It feels like if I broke down and my shirt blew away in the wind, like someone would stop and help me fix my tire and give me the shirt off their back. But now, you know, since the pandemic and since the you know, 2016, uh, to put it simply, uh, you know, there's a lot of animosity and uh, I think a lot of people want other people to pick a side here, at least, you know, compared to maybe some other areas that are a bit more progressive.
0: And your music, your, especially with Steel City Ruins, is so closely tied to Pennsylvania. And as I assume, you know, at fourth generation, it sounds like at least fourth generation Pennsylvania,
1: that that must be, that must be tough. Yeah, it is. It's really hard to see because, you know, I mean, part of Steel City Ruins though was about the post-industrial depression that like kind of is Pittsburgh, right? But it, there was a comedian, I saw a clip on online the other day, it was like, it's my first time in Pittsburgh. I just went to the strip district. It's like a kind of like a shopping area and there's like a lot of grocery stores, but he goes. How does that place stay in business? 90% of all the stores are Pittsburgh-related merchandise. And he was like, Pittsburgh could probably beat Texas in a competition of who loves themselves more. <laughs> hey, so th- these, these areas, like, you know, Pittsburghers and, and, you know, people in these areas are really proud and they're, they're tough. But I feel like it's gone less from a like, hey, we're, we're tough together to like, I'm tough on my own. Right. Yeah. It's, so it's that, that
0: plague of individ- hyper
1: individualism—that's
0: that's sort of—I uh, yes. think really becoming a problem across North America. I, I think that's a huge cause of depression and yeah, breakdown in, in in the social fabric is because we've been sold this fiction that we don't need each other. We don't, you know. And, and I think—I I, mean—at the risk of sounding similarly conspiratorial, I do think that's an intentional message because I think when people work together, it becomes much harder to continue the existing systems of control.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean, like it, you don't even have, I mean, you could, you could break that down more. And it's like, even if it's not one big conspiracy, right. There's a lot of different groups and a lot of different people who benefit from the, the individualism that's spreading. Right. So it might not be like a, a giant effort of a bunch of people coming together. Like we're going to make this happen. We're going to make everyone hate each other, but it's like, there's enough of a common goal to where it's just naturally happening a hundred percent And you know, I, and,
0: I, and i think i think that's the case I, yeah i don't think necessarily there's the the bilderberg group or whatever is is sitting around yeah, stippling their fingers and saying yeah. let's make them all hate each other but i i think that yeah there's enough people who have vested interests separately in in maintaining that separation that it just becomes a thing we're
1: doing yeah exactly and i'm sure it's everywhere but it's as far as like my little slice of the world in this part of Pennsylvania, it is sad it's It's sad to see it feel like we're hitting another decline, I guess. Yeah, yeah, very
0: much so so let's let's talk about steel city ruins. Let's talk about about one, yeah, because I, I seem to recall you saying that one was inspired in a lot of ways by history. The songs are
1: are inspired yes. by the
0: history of the state. can you can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so um. We actually have a self titled album that is not anywhere to be found on the internet. And one of our tracks on one is called 1876. which is actually a continuation from our first album. We had a track called 1859 and in 1859 in Titusville, Pennsylvania, crude oil was discovered for the first time. Oh, okay. A, a massive discovery, you know, for like the birth of industry, right? Like this industrial revolution is, is, booming. It's on the horizon and we just, we struck oil and it was this big explosion of just like life money, like if you go to some of these old towns, you see these beautiful old houses that have fallen into ruin because these areas used to be really affluent because everyone had work, like the industry was here. And, um, on one, uh, 1876 is when the oil well closed officially. They, they stopped getting any oil from oh, okay. The, the Drake's oil well, so. It's 1876 is kind of like this end of a chapter. The well has literally run dry. So what's next? Right. Right. Um, and, and obviously, I mean, we still, you know, Pittsburgh, steel, that's, that's a given, right? So right. like industry didn't maybe leave, but that's where we got our name from. Uh, I was reading some like local poetry book. And there was an entry that referred to Pittsburgh as the City of Steel Ruins after all the steel companies left. And I was like, hey, guys, what do you think of Steel City Ruins? And we all loved it because that's what we grew up with. You know, I I know like my dad can remember steel mills that were functional, operational, were making product. But I never really saw that. Sure, there's like a handful that are even still functioning now but not to the extent to where it was, you know, our, our trademark. So it's very interesting to like see these communities that were built around the production of steel that it left and the communities fell, fell into ruin essentially, like everyone had to figure out what they were going to do next and they made it work. The people are lovely. It's like, maybe they couldn't afford to keep their houses looking pretty. like you know get a fresh coat of paint on it every year and a lot of them did you know fall to the ground but history that feels like it's so close but still so far away
0: and the album really has that feeling there is there is a sense of of reaching out and a kind of Mm -hmm. uh sort of almost like a melancholy uncertainty to it there's this this not quite wistful but Trying to think of the word, almost like a staid acceptance of of the way things are, that really comes yeah. across in the music. It's never hopeless, but it is. There is often a, an element of of melancholy there, and it
1: it is. It's a really affecting oh, album. Oh, for sure. Thank. You. I, I really appreciate that uh, observation of it because people all the time would say like, "Your kind of stuff is depressing," <laughs> which, <laughs> sure. like, yeah. If you want to look at it very one dimensionally, we maybe weren't dealt the best hand, but like we're still playing the game. One of the other tracks on the album, uh, Center Earth. I was just about to bring up Center Earth actually, because that's a very, that feels like a very hopeful song. Track is actually named after a town called Midland. Midland, so we called it Center Earth. Right. Um, At one point, me, one of the other guitarists, Luke, and the drummer Eli, we all lived in this town. It used to be a steel town. Right. There's actually still a functioning steel mill. Um, It like changed owners like um, a good handful of times, so it was and wasn't operational. But, you know, right before we recorded that album, you know, three out of the five of us were living in Midland. We were always getting together and writing music. And there was such a a joy being that close to like other members of the group and being able to just get together whenever and start to flesh out new music and, and get ideas on the table that it, it really felt like a... Uh, I guess like a creative birth for us. So that's why like Center Earth, is such a a kind of happy, upbeat song. It's more of like a camaraderie song. Right. I I will say that's an advantage because you're in your mid-20s now? Yes, I'm 25. Right. So I don't even think I was 21 when we recorded that album. I think I was only 20.
0: Yeah. That is incredible to me because I, I was actually surprised when you mentioned earlier in the call that you were, you know, you talked about being in your early twenties around the time we met, because th- to me, there is so much heft to that music. There is such a, there is such a depth of feeling there that it's surprising to hear it come from someone so young.
1: When we recorded that, two of the members were still in high school. And, you know, uh, I actually, just the other night, my girlfriend and I were talking and I I don't know. I, I, I feel like this was a shower thought probably, but I was thinking about the <laughs> phrase old soul. Sure. You ever get that? Like someone's like, you're such an old soul. I mean, people used to say it to me when I was a kid. Yeah. I talked to some adult or something. They'd be like, like oh, you're, you know, you're such an old soul. And I was really thinking about it. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, I think people who often get told they're an old soul and someone who's very emotionally intelligent, possibly to a fault. Sure. Yeah, like, I, I think that's pretty accurate. So uh, I would say that everyone in the group, we're all sensitive guys, but we also all grew up kind of in this area of Pennsylvania where it's like, yeah, you got to be tough, right? So right. the only way that everyone in this group could maybe express the more vulnerable emotional feelings that we had was, was through our music. You know, and then after we were done playing, like, yeah, we're cool guitar playing, guys. You know, um, we we didn't just play you guys 45 minutes of really depressing music. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm not going to lie. It it was a goal. Every time we played a show, I wanted to watch someone cry. And not like in a sadistic way. It was more of like, I want to lock eyes with someone in the crowd who is about to cry or crying and let them know that like, yeah, you're feeling what I feel. This is like an unspoken thing. I, I
0: understand that completely because I know with, you know, with ghost story guys, people will call and or call Jesus, people will email and they'll say things, you know, like this, I connected with this because of uh, X, Y, or Z that's happening in my own life. And, you know, they, they had an emotional reaction and there's a, there's a connection there. It's about making, yeah, making someone or helping someone feel what you feel and, and knowing that that's something they, they needed to feel too, but maybe they didn't know that.
1: 100%. And I mean, even how, you know, just a little bit ago, we were talking about how it, it feels like there's like this uh, individualism that's happening, making art in general. But, you know, especially with Steel City Ruins, like making the type of music that we made, I can't think of like a single show, even people who didn't like it, because people would be honest to us, you know, not everyone's cup of tea. is 15-minute-long instrumental post-rock right. tracks. But even people who didn't like it would say to us, they'd say, that's not my cup of tea, but I felt it. I right. could feel you guys. And it's really cool to be able to connect to people without saying anything verbally. And that was actually a, a big reason we kept the band instrumental. So many times we had toyed with the idea of adding vocals, and we, we never did right, because of that. Well, I know I, I, am a big champion
0: of, of your stuff even now. And it, it was sort of funny, you know, you and I hadn't spoken in quite a while. And then I was speaking to another host, uh, for another podcast host. And I, who is, he's a musician himself. And, uh, I had said that, um, if you want to hear, uh, up a, a, a perfect album and then two perfect tracks followed by some pretty great tracks, uh, listen to one and then listen to those, those Dolly saw tracks. And then I had also passed along one to Joseph, uh, who I co-host uh, Weird Together with. It's a horror movie show. And he is also a musician. I, I said, you got to listen to this, this album. And he just just fell in love with one. And so it, it just has that power. Again, it's, it's, uh, it's a, a damn near perfect record. And I, again, I, the more people who hear it, the better.
1: Yeah, th- so thank you. Um, we, and two. I feel like it's probably important to mention, we recorded that album live. Really? Every, every track on that album was a live take. Oh, I bet that's got a lot to do with it. Yeah. And part of the reason we did it was because the easiest way to put it is like, we couldn't play separately. We didn't, none of us had it. Like we were completely unable to just sit down one at a time and record our parts. We couldn't get the feel right. We couldn't capture the same energy. So we said we, we found a studio who would record us live and funny enough, next time you listen to the album on 1876, I won't tell you exactly where, but it's, I say towards the beginning, it's probably like two minutes in <laughs> because that's like a 12 minute track. You can hear me scream fuck <laughs> because we had spent two days straight trying to record that track. It's 12 minutes long. That's a lot of minutes for one of us to mess up. No kidding. So, because if one of us messed up, we started from the top. Right. So, in the take that we ended up keeping, I messed the part up and screamed fuck as loud as I could in the live room. And you can hear it in the back of the recording if you know it's there. <laughs> but everyone just kept playing, and it ended up being the best take that we ended up getting. So, we just sucked with it. That's but great. There... Yeah, there's, there's me screaming in the, in the background. Um, and funny enough, none of us actually caught it until we had already gotten the album mastered and had CDs in our hands. And I put a CD in my car. It <laughs> was listening to it. And I had to keep playing that part over again. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> we caught me screaming. <laughs> you well, know, so that's, that's like a, a cool little Easter egg there
0: that's brilliant because i've listened to that album dozens if not hundreds of times and i don't think i ever caught it i probably heard a voice but i don't think i it ever occurred to me to yeah i, I didn't i didn't catch the well, fuck yeah I guess.
1: yeah yeah so next time you listen to it it's in 1876 uh, towards towards the beginning in one of the transitions uh, another song that had a lot of meaning to it was uh drought season the, the final track That was going to be
0: one of the last songs I asked about. So please, please tell me about drought season.
1: Oh, so drought season was, you know, there, everyone in the band, like we would all, if you asked any of us, we would say that we're like brothers, which means that we hate each other at points. (laughs) Sure. Yep. And it it was really funny because like we, I mean, we would do anything for each other. But like we play with other bands and all the other bands, like all the members would be like hugging each other and be like, I love you, bro. You're my best friend ever. And we'd be like, get out of my sight. I will kill you right now. I don't wanna see you. Like we just, we spent so much time together that our bond was stronger than just saying, I love you. But it did lead to some tough moments for us. and, And there was a period of time where like we hadn't really written anything new we were trying to get at least an album's worth of music together, and everyone was starting to get just a little bit too cranky. Right. And um, every time we would come up with a new track, we would all be ecstatic and like super happy with each other. It was just like a little boost that we needed. It was a morale boost. And we, we were in like a rough patch and I had had a dream one night. It's a really sad dream about a deer walking through a forest and a forest fire starts. The deer is, is running away from the fire, trying all they can to like outrun it. And they find themselves at like a pond stream waterfall area. The deer wades into the water and is like kind of in the safe space, but due to the fires raging, a tree burned down and fell and crushed the deer. Next time you listen to it, at the end of the track, there's this very very like slow breathing, heartbeat feeling saxophone and guitar part that oh, is this deer essentially taking its final breath. Oh wow. And you know, it's 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 kind of like sometimes you don't win. Right. It's, it's sad as it is. And I, I like I woke up from this dream and I, I was I was disturbed, obviously, one that I even said a dream like this but I was really inspired and I, I wrote Drought Season. And like the very next day I was like, guys, we gotta get together and, and put this song together. I think you guys will love it. And it was like exactly what we needed. And everyone was like, this is the last track on the album. We did it. And it's, it's still one of my favorites, but I do have a hard time listening to it because like personally to me, I know what the story is. So, so sometimes when I, I, I listen to it, it still hits me a bit hard. So as we
0: wind down, there's one more song I wanted to ask you about, and that is the. Actually, I, I guess there's, there's three. Uh, so before we get to the, the last, I guess we'll finish. We'll finish with Steel City Ruins for now. So I wanted to ask yeah. about the latest track from from them. There's nothing to fear, and that was released to Spotify yeah. in 2020 in October 2022.
1: Yeah, so uh, that track is one that I wrote. Pretty much everyone in the band ended up moving to Nashville. I still live in Pennsylvania. Luke is currently in Florida working, but he'll be coming back at some point, but he might not be staying. And before everyone moved, we were actually working on what was going to be our second studio album, and we were doing it all ourselves. And we, we wanted it to be a concept album. I doubt we'll ever do it. So the guys can't get mad at me for talking about it, but the idea was supposed to be the the album was gonna be called Explaining Death to a Child. And everyone in the band was supposed to like pick kind of like an experience they had in life dealing with death that like taught them something and had a meaning. And we were gonna make an entire, you know, concept album just based around like learning what death is and coping with it. Um, I wrote nothing to peer about the last time I saw my grandfather before he passed away from brain cancer. I was very young. I think I was only six years old. We used to have this like secret handshake that he would do every time I'd say goodbye to him. You know, as he got sick, he gained a lot of weight. He lost mobility. He was in a wheelchair. He, you know, lost his hair. He, he looked like a different person. And in his last days, he was stuck in his bed. And, um, you know, on the day he passed, I think my grandmother or my aunt or someone, you know, called my dad and said, Hey, it's not, it's not looking good. Like you should come see him. So we go up and see my grandfather. And before we leave from his bed, he still gives me this really firm handshake and a strong bear hug the best that he could. And to me, that felt like him telling me there's nothing to fear it'll be okay so um yeah that's that's what that track is about i mean i i would say that's like a pretty uplifting feeling track but you can still feel you know the the pain that is in it absolutely
0: it, it's yeah it's different from one and it doesn't have that that same sprawling sense of of history it's it's more as you say it's more immediate but it it and and mm-hmm. more uplifting but definitely still has that that emotional core that you, you, after having listened to the other, the other stuff you've come to expect from the band.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that was part of our goal. You know, when we were trying to write, we, we have actually like a good handful of unreleased tracks that, you know, we was go, they were going to be in an album, but we never got enough tracks written. So we kind of just, you know, put it on the back burner, but, Um, we wanted to make something that was maybe a little less technical for lack of a better way to put it, because our previous two albums, we put a lot of thought into doing weird time signatures and like making music. We wanted to play a show in front of other musicians and have them like come up to us afterwards and be like, what was that? You know, what what did you guys do in that one part? because we all went to music school together. We always like wanted to one up the other person. So like, you know, friendly competition. So for the newer stuff, we were like, Hey, let's, let's cut back on like trying to just be as like intense as possible and be more emotional. And uh, yeah, that, that track is, was one of my favorites. And I'm glad that we did make a recording and put it out so that people could still hear it, you know, about, now that was our last hurrah you know as the band right well I,
0: I can only hope that, uh, that there is more or barring that more music from you at least because again I, I'm a big fan of, of everything you've done thus far I love your music it's very much my maybe that's it maybe it's that old soul uh, the, the bond of the old soul thing but your stuff always hits yeah, me yeah very well could be always hits me right you know right in the heart and I yeah, I can't wait to hear more from you, my friend.
1: Hey, I thank you. I, I hope that uh I have some old enemy stuff that I've been sitting on that I need to record one of these days. So maybe you'll maybe you'll get something, you know, sooner than later. Uh my my girlfriend keeps telling me I need to record all the songs that I haven't recorded because she hears them all the time. And she always says to me, She's like, I want to listen at work. But I say, No, you only get the the home performances for now. So <laughs> it, it does need to happen. Uh, you know, I, I could talk way too long about film photography, but that's like a thing I recently got into and, uh, it takes a lot of time and, uh, I'll shoot a bunch of film and develop it all at home and scan it all at home. So it's like, I've been doing that, got a new job, still writing music. It's just finding that time to like sit down and actually record something is hard. Oh yeah, and, and you mentioned hyperfocus earlier, and that's
0: something again. That's something I have. So, the downside of hyperfocus is if my hyperfocus is not aligned with one particular thing, even if I like that thing, I just won't do it for a while.
1: Oh, what? yeah, a thousand percent. It's it's yeah. a struggle, you know. Uh, for old, you know, in job interviews, they would ask all the time, like, "What do you think your greatest strength is, and what's your greatest weakness?" And I would say they are the same thing. and that it is i hyper fixate on things but if i am not interested in something i will not be able to do it yes but if i like something i will 1000 percent do it and i will obsess over getting it right it is you know that's a hard thing to try to balance yeah it's
0: it's very much uh if your superpower itself was kryptonite kind of situation yes
1: (laughs) yeah so buddy where can everyone find you online man Currently, I'm most active, you know, on Instagram under chemical underscore memories. It's my uh, film photography account. I use it a ton. If uh, you want to find my music, uh, Steel City Ruins is on Spotify. Dolly Sods is also on Spotify. And there are some old enemy tracks on Spotify and a few on Bandcamp that are not on Spotify. So, you know, it's kind of like a little, little treasure hunt finding all of my creative outlets on the internet.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's worth the work because folks, especially those pictures, again, we didn't, we didn't really get into it, but uh, though the film photography that Buddy's been doing is stellar stuff. I love seeing it. And, you know, he lives in such a, a visually interesting area that combined with the technical skill, it is really, really unique, very cool stuff. Make sure you check it out. Again, my guest has been Buddy Young. Buddy, thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been great. And that's the ballgame. Big thanks to Buddy Young for taking the time to hang out. It was great getting to know you, man. And uh, if you want to hear more from Buddy, check the links in the show notes. You will find links to his Instagram, the uh, Spotify pages for his various projects. And again, you heard a portion of some of his music in the show. Check out the rest of it. You will not be disappointed. And as I said at the top, this is just the beginning for Buddy. So now is a good time because this fella is going places. As for me, I am headed places myself, I am headed out into that long dark night, and I don't know when there will be another episode of Largely the Truth, but I hope it's not too long, I hope it's not as long as last time, because the world is indeed full of fascinating people, and I do enjoy getting to talk to them. Big thanks to Peter Kursov of Podzontum Music for my theme song. You can find more from him by searching for Podzantum Music wherever you get your tunes, or by clicking the link in the show notes. If you like the show, send me an email, largelythetruth at gmail.com. You can find my other shows, The Ghost Story Guys, Weird Together, Transmissions from the Void, and Book of the Dead everywhere. fine podcasts live. And you can find me on social media as largely the truth. I'm on Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. I have an account on Twitter. I don't really use it, although sometimes I sneak on there to comment on things or like things. But uh, generally speaking, Instagram is the place to find me. And if you do, make sure to mention you found me through my show. Until next time, hope the night takes you to the same strange and wonderful places it takes me. And remember, if you're not sure what comes next, put a call out into the dark. You never know who's going to pick up. I'll see you next time.